Zane Lowe, Apple Music. It's another conversation right here on the interview series. My name is Zane Lowe, and thank you very much for joining us. This time we're in conversation with Tim McGraw, not only one of country music's biggest superstars, and now we can talk about it because thankfully the writer's strike is over. Congratulations to all who successfully achieved that. Uh, he's also like low-key one of the great actors and scene stealers of everything he's ever been in. It's very difficult to make that transition, I think, from being so recognizable as a as a musical performer into playing characters on the screen, which which have to be believable. But man, he really draws you in, and he's he's fully committed to every part he's ever been in, to the point where I always have to check the credits. Like, is that really Tim McGraw? Uh, he's just released his 16th studio album, Standing Room Only, created during the pandemic, like much of the music being released right now at this point. Uh, and it explores the resiliency of just being human and the spirit required to listen, learn, forgive, move forward, and live within the principle of love. We talk about all of this, including the important relationships in his life, yes, including his wife, Faith Hill, also an incredible artist and actor. And there's some interesting stories in there as well, including one particularly nerve-wracking one involving spearfishing sharks in the Bahamas. If that sounds good to you, then here it is, myself and Tim McGraw in conversation on the interview series. Good you. Ah, thank you, man. You're good you. You are too. I like the sound effects. I got to use those. No, you don't get those. Oh, come on. Uh, I'm no, steal no, them. Doesn't mind. You can have the songs without the sound effect. You win. Uh, <laughs> what a journey. What a life. So much incredible music you've recorded. The gift it's given you, it's given all of us. It's put you on this pathway of life only you could experience and enjoy and make the most of. And you've certainly done that. Uh, thank you. You know, finding the, the, the spirit and the inspiration to make a new album um, as you move through life and and life gets confusing. You know, we search for simplicity, but it's not always at our fingertips the older we get. Yeah. Trying to sort of clear a pathway to be able to find the purity of the voice that made you want to write songs in the first place. Get harder or easier as you get older? You know, I'm always searching to get better, you know? So it, it, I, don't, I don't know that it's harder or easier. That's a, that's a difficult sort of navigation for me. I, I'm, there are times when it feels difficult and there are times where it feels easy. Um, but to me, it's always about finding the song, whether I'm writing the song or listening to songs coming from other songwriters who are friends of mine. It's just about finding finding a song that has some meaning to it and some heart and some soul to it. And, and you know, without the song, you have nothing. And I always say that everything good in my life has come from country music. And it's given me everything in my life. And and I I, I sort of worship at the altar of songs. Oh, that's one of my favorite phrases. I've used that as long as I've been talking about music. Someone said that to me very early on in my journey that the mission is to worship at the altar of the song. And I've always referred to that. It's been mm -hmm. a North Star for me. That's true. It's, um, it's, without that, you don't have anything. It's, it's everything. And when we were recording this album, we started recording this album during the pandemic because I had released my last album here on earth. And it came out smack dab in the middle of the pandemic. We spoke for the first time on a video conference. Exactly. Call. It was one of my favorite chats of the year. Oh, thank you. And and I didn't, you know, you, we didn't get a chance to really go out and play any of that music you know, like like we wanted to because we couldn't tour. So I started working on the album during that, you know, and, and looking at the world as the world was at that time and what we were all going through. So I was searching for songs. I was, I, I, my process is always, I have these ideas of what I want to say and the kinds of songs I want to say, and sonically what I want the record is to sound like. Is that a feeling? Is it a phrase? Is it something you've seen that you can't shake from your sort of cerebral cortex, or is it something deep down you can't explain? It's all. It's all of it. And it's also the world, paying attention to the world and what's going on around you and, and, and life in general. I mean, I think artists, 
have a keen sense, not me, I'm an artist in general, have sort of a keen sense of what the world feels like to them and how they interpret the world. Yeah. And then how they translate what's going on. That's the point. From the world through them and how it translates through them. Mm. And I was trying to find songs that were inspiring and songs that were life affirming. It's a very inspiring album. Thank you. And songs that were about, you know, we all make mistakes and we're going to make mistakes and we're going to do bad stuff. And you, all you can do is try to get up the next day and be the best you you can be that day and know you're going to screw up again later down the road. And, and you got to figure out how to put that behind you. And I'm lucky because music is it's cathartic. And it, for me, it's my therapy. To, so to be able to go in the studio and have these great songs and sort of work out your emotional baggage through these songs is, is, is a blessing. You know, you've been through a lot in your life, um, and you live your life through the principle of forgiveness, and I want to talk about that in a minute because I think it's fascinating and inspiring that you've been able to come to terms with that term in its truest sense given what you've been through, which required a lot of forgiveness. Have you actually turned to therapy in your life to help you process things, or has it literally just been the arts? Well, it's been the arts mostly. I mean, I've, I've tried therapy a few times. I'm not very good at it. <laughs> You don't get mocked. Um, it's not like you're a C minus therapy uh, student. I am, I am a C minus therapy student for sure. Maybe a D. Maybe a D. Probably the only D I ever made in my life was you in therapy. A, you have a very judgmental therapist, by the way. You uh, may just need to seek a different therapist. I know, right? I mean, forgiveness is easy for someone else. It's hard to give well, yourself. Well, Tim, you really were sh- today. <laughs> Wasting my f***ing time. <laughs> I, I did get that a few times. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it is a, it's a through line on this album. It's been a through line in your life. It's right there in, your t- in the timeline of your life, mm-hmm. um, what you've been through on a personal level, um, right down to the most core relationship that allows you to establish a foundation of trust. Um, that with the parents that, 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 that bring you into this life, um, you kept the last name, you found forgiveness, you maintained and built and maintained a, friend, a, a, a relationship, a mm-hmm. modern relationship with your father through it all. Mm-hmm. Not to get too deep too early, but your life fascinates me, Tim, and I'm going to make the most of the hour that we have. Um, how did you, are you any closer to understanding what the voice sounded like in you that allowed you to best process forgiveness and begin that journey? Because a lot of people can't. Well, I... It's pretty simple, actually. Um, you know, the circumstances I grew up in, and, you know, thank God for my mom, who was a solid rock, um, but she went through a couple of bad marriages and relationships, and, and they weren't the, it wasn't the best environment to grow up in. And for me, when I found out who my father was, because I didn't, I thought my first stepdad was my father, and I found my birth certificate and found all that out, to me, a, a light bulb sort of went off in my head. That um, if he can do that, if that's my, in my blood, because he was a professional athlete, very successful, if that's in my blood, then I can do something with my life. And so that's where the forgiveness for me came, is it was inspiring to me to know that I had something in me that I didn't know I had. And I, I'm not sure, had I not found that out, that I would have been able to have the courage and the confidence to pursue this career and try something. Do you think looking back on that moment, that really essential moment in the human experience where forgiveness occurs and a new day begins, which requires both sides to understand their role in this, Mm -hmm. that you were able to teach your father what it was to be forgiven and therefore allow him to let go of some of the... Because really, when when you don't feel like you can be forgiven, it's because I think you feel 
like you shouldn't forgive yourself. Well, that's what I was saying a little earlier. I think we were talking over each other a little bit, but um, the easy part is to forgive someone else. The hardest part is to forgive yourself. And when you look in the mirror, all you see is the worst. And I've discovered that having kids, too, you catch your catch yourself putting your thumb on your kids sometimes and, and trying to squeeze stuff out of them. And I, I came to the realization, I guess when my daughters were teenagers, when I would always say, oh, don't do that or, or don't do this, what I'm really doing is I'm seeing the things I don't like about myself show up in them. And so you're trying to squeeze yourself out of them because you don't want them to be like you. I'm not sure I've dropped a parental <laughs> bomb lately, but as a father of two teenage boys, let me tell you, it is their job to reject you. Yeah, well, that's what they do. But but they come back around. They come, <laughs> they come back, back around, but yeah. they have to because to form an identity that is uniquely their own, they have to reject the thing that they love the most. Absolutely, and we and you know, as parents, we tend to forget. You you think that oh, we made them, so they're just like us. They're ours. They're but they're ninety yeah. percent their own person. One hundred percent. Yeah. One hundred percent. You know, you summed it up so beautifully. Not to begin at the end, but in letter from heaven. Um, you talk. Mm. You touch on being a parent, your own experience through the lens of being a child and seeing the flaws of your own parents, in particular your father, and then the strength that your mother had, even to leave you a letter. I'm not sure how true to form this actual narrative in the song is, and if you did find a letter after the film. Well, I didn't write that, and but I, but it touched me. It touched it, you in a beautiful and, way. And felt, I felt it deeply. Laurie McKenna wrote that song. Who's, it's incredible. Who's one of the most incredible songwriters, poets in the world. It's so unbelievable that someone can tap into something that's so true to your life. Did she write that for you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah she, she's got a connection with me with about songs and, and about thoughts and about life that, that we really connect on on all sorts of levels. And we wrote, there's a song on the, the album called uh, Nashville, California, LA, Tennessee. Mm, I that, love that. That we wrote together with my acoustic player who's been with me for 31 years. Mm. So we, the three of us wrote that song and it came out of a story, I guess 2018. I uh, have a like 19 year old Cadillac Escalade that I can't get rid of because it's got so many memories in it, you know, calling kids to football games and basketball games and baseball, you know, softball games, all that stuff, and a car full of cheerleaders and all, you know, all kinds of things. So I, I, it's, I can't bear to get rid of it. But anyway, I ripped all the seats out of the back and packed all of my oldest daughter's stuff in, and we did a road trip to move her out here to L.A. And so we spent about four days driving out and staying at cool places and hanging out and doing carpool karaoke and we had a had a great time what were you singing uh, what, 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 i think what we she she loves show tunes a lot but we did uh i think we did one thing i think it was on she posted it on instagram or something but it was uh her and i singing a, a barbara streisand and barry gibb <laughs> song together yes. yeah it was pretty cool and she's a great singer but so we got we got yeah. all the way out to la we drove we had a great time we got here and it was late at night and I started unloading the van, moving all of her stuff in. And she was by that time ready to get rid of me. You know, she's she's free. She's in L.A. She want, she wanted me to go. And I'm lingering, you know, just trying to unpack boxes. And she's, Dad, I got it. Dad, I got it. So I'm like, all right. So I'm standing around, not wanting to leave. And then I start doing other things. Dad, you need to go. <laughs> and so I gave her a big hug. And then, of course, I fell apart. Yeah. And I gave her the hug. And I went to the hotel room and cried myself to sleep. And yeah. woke up the next morning, got in the car, and deadheaded it back home. And on the way home, I called Bob, my guitar player, and, and he's got growing kids and grandkids now. And we were talking about life and the changes in life. And, and when your kids are growing up and they're moving out and all the emotions that you go through, 
So that song was born out of that conversation. Yeah. And we were both crying on the phone yeah, and heavy. talking about it. It's heavy. I, I mean, I started that process at the beginning of the year myself. Our 17-year-old will very soon be going to college and doing what he wants to go do. And, you know, if you know me and you you get to know me over time, Tim, I tend to try to get ahead of change. <laughs> and I get taught very quickly that you can't. You're always yeah. one step behind. You're it. always behind. Right, yeah. right, right. And so, you know, my therapist was like, man, you need to invest in this change because it's the only way it's going to get you through. But it's it's tough. What was that drive back like? It was you? lonely. It was lonely. I mean, I enjoyed it because I, I, it was a good time to, to think and to process. It gave me time to do that before I got home so I wouldn't fall apart in front of my wife because yeah. I knew she was, you know, it's always harder on moms. 100%. Because they're the ones that really do all the work. Oh, look, we are the supporting <laughs> we are the supporting character at the start and we are the supporting character at the change and Absolutely. we're the supporting character at various important points in life. Absolutely. We're there to just do what they tell us to do and try to be the best, best you know, rock that we can be when we're needed. Yeah. It's amazing to me that you can hear these songs and make them feel like your own. And that's the mark of a great performer, someone who emotes through their art that doesn't um, even translate you absorb and you make it your own I think about a song like Standing Room Only your voice sounds so like young oh on well that thank song. you I'll take no, that but I, I, let, me, let me frame that because that on the surface that could feel like I'm trying to your voice has history to it, it you've earned that history you've sung these songs you've made them your own they belong to you and your voice but this sounds like almost the first song you ever sang. Wow. And I listened to it, a song like uh, the, the, the ideas of it. I want a life. I want this. I want to project what my life will be. Mm -hmm. And I, I actually wonder whether it was conscious that you even thought like, you know what, if I'm going to take myself back to the beginning of something that's unpromised to me and unfulfilled with the promise of what can occur, can I find the purity in my voice to deliver this in a way that doesn't sound like me having lived the life? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, the process you go through, you, you know, when, when I record, I, you know, I try to just get behind the microphone and step into the song. And I try to make every, every song sort of a cinematic experience, yeah. these, these little movies. And I put myself in the movie, and therefore I'm telling you the story. But if you're doing it right, you allow other people to put themselves in the movie yeah. so they can find the lead character and they can be the lead character and find a part of their life that matches up with the song and they can walk through that scene themselves. Yeah. And if you can do that, then you really got something special. And, and I love being in the studio and just, you know, lights off, just get lost in the song and just try not to, try not to sing the song, try to let the song sing you. Yeah. I mean, that's why when we hear you sing these songs, they belong to us immediately because you narrate for us and they become attached. It's the power of great performance. I mean, a lyric like that. Does it surprise you sometimes when you're reading the lyrics or you're processing what you're going to sing? Again, how it just seems to be so dialed into your life. Like I think of a lyric, like uh, I want to take my grudges and my old regrets and let them go. It's not like you haven't been on the receiving end of some bullshit. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're probably the f one of the first, if not the only artist who seemed to have extricated himself from a record deal. <laughs> the only one from that legally, particular deal yeah, legally, ever. Legally, yes. yeah. Yeah, and that, yeah. Was, that was a tough, that was probably, well, I know it was, um, not personally, well, personally as well. It was one of the toughest parts of times of my life, was going through that ordeal. What was the feeling at the time? Can you remember? Um, the feeling was, I don't know that I can regain my career after this, because it was tried it tried to get squashed out that to me is almost a realization but the feeling surely exists more in a sense of hurt and just mistrust and a feeling of like how could i be treated this way that had been that had gone on for a while and um, i don't want to get 
too personal and attack anybody because what's done is done. And look, and look, I had a lot of success there, and I wouldn't be at this point in my career without having that. With that being said, it was a it was a three four year process of um, to the to the point where I had managers and everybody telling me, let's just stay here. You know, I've been there. I've been in that situation yeah. where someone who's on my team has gone, dude. At this point, I think it's just better if you just cut your losses and get on with the job. Right? It's not. Is it not going to be worth it? And I'll tell you what I said, and I'm sure it'll, you'll be able to elaborate and make it far more, um, you know, in line with the story. But I said I I can't go back. Mm-hmm. No, you couldn't. I, it's I couldn't. done. Like the only way forward is through. Yeah, I knew that if I if I would have stayed and not tried to move forward with my career, no matter what happened to my career, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't progress any further as as an artist and now my career either it was going to grow or be stagnant or be non-existent but it certainly wasn't going to live at curb but it wasn't going to live at curb and i wasn't going to be as good as i thought i could be and it really it, it was one of those moments in my life when i really realized something about about the human ex- experience that i couldn't understand I, I couldn't piece it together which was how could somebody i knew so well assume something that was so out of my concept of reality that I was just going to show up to work on Monday like it's all good. Yeah. I was like, wow, sometimes we really don't understand each other as a species. No, I mean, you know, you can never, ever get into someone else's head. I mean, you just can't. I mean, and no matter how well you know someone, you just, uh, your best friend, your wife. I was going to say marriage will teach you that. You just, you just can't get in somebody's head and you can't know that everything, all the thought processes that everyone's going through and and the things that they're dealing with. And um, yeah, it's, you just have to move forward. You just have to keep moving forward and try to be better and try to do better and, and try to find your path, man. I mean, if you, if you can't find your way, if you can't find your way, nothing's going to get accomplished. You know, it, I was thinking back to the beginning because we've never had a conversation face to face like this. And, and I always relish the opportunity to talk to someone who's had, you know, a, a near 30 year career and I've never had a chance to really kick it with you. You know, it's like awesome. Like, I'm just going to dive into this. Right? I love it's like, it. It's like I'm the only person in the room. And there's a cake and I'm like, I'll start on any angle. Of this Absolutely. Um, and I think back to your, your self-titled debut album and the fact that it's the only one that, had, that hasn't been successful at the time. Yeah, we, all, we like to say it went wood. <laughs> it went wood. Yeah. <laughs> what is at least useful? Yeah, oh, there it is. Sorry, I'm just kidding. I had to. You teed it up, bro. I had to have one. I had to have one. Now we are friends. No, no, you, can... you got it now. We're, we're down with it. <laughs> <laughs> now you understand the Kiwi sense of humor. If you kick yourself, I'll jump, I'll jump right in there. Just I love for, it. for one good one. Um, and I think about what that must have felt like. Not that it wasn't successful at the beginning because I knew you were in it for the work, but that it was your name. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was... I, it was really the first time I'd ever been in a studio or a proper studio to really record anything. And I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I had, you know, some great producers around me, James Stroud, Byron Gallimore. Um, I was just learning how to find, I still think there were great songs on that album, but I was still, you know, probably getting songs from the B drawer from publishers and stuff. And, but I had enough success. I had one top 40 off of that record enough to work. So I was out playing club, bigger clubs and better gigs. Um, and then it, so it didn't do very well. So the label sort of just forgot about me. Yeah. And so I started collecting songs for my next album, although I don't think they were going to give me a next album, but I started collecting all these songs and I didn't play the songs for the label. I didn't play the songs for my management. I didn't tell anybody. And I just called my producer and told him to book a studio. 
and didn't tell the label about it. This is exactly what I was going trying to get to, and I'm glad you, you're going there. Please continue the idea of what changed for you from that not connecting to getting to the album that did, and because it was clearly you that took control of that scenario. Well, that's what happened. I, I, I was scared to death in the studio the first time, scared to speak up. You know, I didn't you know I had Indian Outlaw for the first album, but they wouldn't let me record it. And so, and I'd been playing it in clubs. We were having to play it two or three times a night in clubs because people wanted to hear it. So you knew it was connecting. I knew it was connecting. And um, so the, I took all these songs in, went in the studio, and, and, and I'm a pretty reserved guy most of the time and not super talkative. But I went in, and it took all the courage I had to stand up in front of all these fantastic musicians and these seasoned producers and say, we're cutting this album. The, the label doesn't know we're making this record, and I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to cut the songs I want to cut, and we're going to cut them the way I want to cut them. And uh, we're going to sink or swim. And that was the Not A Moment Too Soon album. And that was the one that kicked, kicked the world open for me. It's so funny, you know. It's, um, then you get inside the, the real mindset of, of, and again, great people in the music industry who have helped to facilitate and, cre- and, and to support visions of artists for many, many decades. And Those are the great people in the music business that support the vision of the artist. 100%. The other ones who, who basically, ultimately, are, it comes through fear. Like, if I, if I don't have some control over this, then what, what is my job What's my job, exactly. Or, or um, I really don't know if it's good or not. Yeah. And then when you have those people that just don't know, they will, like, I don't know, what do you think kind of thing. And yeah. then they wait for somebody else's opinion, and then they tell you they like it or not. If somebody says they don't like it, then they don't like it. If somebody says they like it, then they like it. And I've done, I better not, I probably shouldn't say this, but I've done things like. We're way past that, mate. I've done, <laughs> I've done things like you'll play a mix for, for somebody, uh, like a, yeah. an executive or something. You'll play a mix, and they'll go, you know, this really sounds great, but I think if you tweaked it right here and you tweaked it right there and you, you did a few little tweaks on the mix it would be it'd be really good and i'd go okay so i'd go away and two or three days later i'd come back with the same mix and say <laughs> we, we we tweaked it we did took your suggestions and i'll play it and they'll go hot damn that's exactly what it needed you're now it sounds troll. great you're such a troll <laughs> with the placebo effect on a record executive it's priceless <laughs> I love it. I mean, those are the moments I think that as playful as they are and as much as we can laugh because we all get suckered in. I mean, I'm sure our kids have totally played that gag on us as oh, parents for, absolutely. many times before. I've been snowed so many times. So many times, right. <laughs> but at the end of the day, what they really do, if you want to sort of give them some gravity, is they just they, – they, they serve to, to um, reinforce confidence in your own judgment. Mm-hmm. When, well, and that's what – but you also need somebody to tell you when something sucks, if if you really trust their opinion. So who is that for you? Oh uh, gosh, well my wife. Yeah. So how brutal is she? She's pretty brutal. Yeah. But she's honest, and, and well she's well she's one of, uh, to me I think she's one of the greatest artists of all time, one Hands of the greatest down. singers of all time. Gets one. Yeah. And and we're different types of artists, you know. We we we're, we like different kinds of music. I mean we like a lot of the same stuff, but we like different kinds of music. And and I'm always playing her the songs that I want to record and, and play in her mixes as I go along. And, and there's times we don't agree. There's times where she goes, oh, I don't like the way that sounds. And I go, well, I do, and that's the way it's going to stay. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and the same thing when she's making records. Yeah. Like, I think this should be your single. She goes, no, I don't like that song. This is going to be the single. I'm like, all right. 
she's usually right. She's right about her stuff, and I'm usually right about my stuff. But most of the time, we agree. It's really beautiful. Uh, I mean, obviously, congratulations. We're coming up on what 26, 27 years of marriage. Coming up on twenty seven. Yeah, yeah we're tw- me and my wife are twenty four this year. All right, so I feel good saying that. Thank yeah. you. Same to you. Yeah. And it's I, like ninety two in showbiz years. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> but I think it's one. It's one of those really amazing and inspirational stories because you've been able to b- build such a strong foundation. Um, and family foundation and built around that and unapologetically and unashamedly stood by that. It's not like, you know, you, we don't talk about that. It's like, no, no, I'm proud of my family. Absolutely. This is what we have. But you've also been able to maintain your own identity. Mm-hmm. And there's a great Jack White song. I love Jack White. I do too. Genius. Genius. It's yeah. a great Jack White and White Stripe song, shouts to Meg, uh, which is I'm Slowly Turning Into You, uh, which is one of my favorite songs, which is the idea of that, like, I'm absorbing your traits to the degree that perhaps I'm losing a little bit of my own identity in the process. Is that a good thing? And you two seem to have been able to maintain your identity which in the in the in the artistic field is very unique has it helped that you've had your career simultaneously going on with family that allows you to continue to stand your ground even when someone says i'm not sure about that song as an example well yeah because we have a confidence in our life we have a confidence in our foundation and all of this could go away and we're perfectly happy with the five of us i mean we are we 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 are a really tight family i mean we have a my youngest daughter is 21 and when she was in high school, she started a, fa- a family text that we would all say goodnight to each other. And now it's turned into 50, 60 texts a day from all five of us sending videos and saying I love you. I got and, one right here. Yes, and it's just— What's it's yours just, called? Do you have a name for yours? It's just this fam. Ours is, ours is called The Rulers. The Rulers. <laughs> we rule! <laughs> I was thinking the, like the whole ruler with the nuns and the Catholic no, school slapping your no, hand. No, there's nothing cool. There's nothing punishment about it, Tim. It's more just like, you rule! No, you rule! No, that's you awesome. rule! No, you rule! Right on. Um, yeah, there's man. nothing like it. I mean, it's that, that's your foundation. And that'll when you have a, a great foundation, a family foundation, that allows you to soar. I mean, that allows you... All kinds of freedom. And I think Faith and I, the lucky thing for us, when we decided to get married, we knew we wanted a family and we knew we wanted our family to come first. And we were 29 when we got married. And not just that, both of you were like, you were having the kind of success early on in life that people only focus on that because they're terrified of losing. Mm -hmm. To diversify your time into something as important as a union at that moment in your careers I can imagine there must have been a little bit of a, a, an eyebrow that went up within certain teams of like, you sure you want to do that, Tim? You're busy. Yeah, I think it was her team more than mine yeah, that yeah. was like, I don't know if you ought to be doing this, uh, yeah. especially with me, because I was pretty wild at the time. But um, but what it, it did, and that's what I was getting to, is we were both successful. And so when we got married and decided to have a family, we had had enough success at that time that we could pick and choose when we wanted to work and how we wanted to work. So we built our whole schedules around our family life. And our kids traveled with us until school started. And when school started, we didn't work and let, when school was going on, for the most part. Every now and then there was something that came along. But for the most part, we didn't work when school was. I coached softball. I coached basketball. We did tailgate parties for the cheerleaders at all the football games. I mean, we, we were lived— Memories you just could never no, trade. No, we lived our life just like everybody else. I mean, we were, you know, Mr. and Ms. McGraw every time showing up. And we, you know, we had— 15 teenage girls at our house all the time. We're cooking for them, and they're singing and playing music and hanging out by the pool. And it's just, um, we just had, we've had a wonderful foundation, a wonderful life, and and that's given us, I think it gave us confidence to know that that we we're, we're if we're strong enough to do this, then we we're strong enough to do anything. 
you know what else it does is it breaks the spell that the psychology of being in the arts, having an artistic spirit that requires some form of validation mm -hmm. in order to feel like you're being heard, it creates this spell, I think, that we all fall into, which is if I don't feed the beast, I'm going to lose the chance to do what I love. Mm -hmm. I can imagine that when you and Faith made the decision together, which is much stronger, to, to walk away and define the flow the way you wanted it to be, that you broke that spell. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it did. And, and as a result of it, it made things better. Our, our, both of our careers even exploded more after we got married. Because you let go a bit. Because we let go a bit and we just sort of found happiness and relaxed a little bit about what we were doing and found some confidence in what we were doing. And as, as you were saying earlier, being an artist is sort of a dichotomy because on one hand, you're totally insecure and you totally think you're going to fail every time you do something. And on the other hand, your goal is to be the biggest artist ever in the world. So you're fighting that battle within yourself the whole time. And I, I don't think one works without the other. And it, it pushes you and it drives you. And, um, and then to have another person just like that, that's your, that's your partner, that you, you have something to talk, you have something really that you could talk about and explain to each other that, that doesn't require an explanation. We get it. We understand it. So when you're having days when you're not feeling confident, then she's the one that makes me feel confident. When you're having days when she's not feeling confident, then I make her feel confident. And it's just, it, it's just worked for us. And, um, and then we, and then getting a tour together, sing together, act together. I mean, just do the stuff that we get, the stuff that we get to do together is, uh, I, I, I couldn't, I guarantee you, had I not gotten married to Faith at 29 years old, A, I probably would have ran my career into the ground. And B, well, I would have died or ran my career into the ground, one or the other. And it wouldn't it would have ever have been where it's at now. How long did Faith put up with the wild years before you realized that ultimately, you know, there was some maturity that had to occur in order for the relationship to grow? Well, I don't know if the maturity's occurred yet, but <laughs> but but uh, she put up with it for a while because I was pretty sneaky about it for a while but um i mean it, it was just you know overdoing stuff you know overdoing stuff and then when the kid i think when the kids got old enough that they could notice things is when she finally said you know you got to figure this out one of my favorite songs on the record is hey whiskey yeah. I, I i just love that i love the i love the whole idea of having a conversation with something that's been a friend and a foe mm -hmm. it doesn't have a personality but man it sure puts it in you yeah it does art takes it away from you one or the other yeah, it does 100%. both yeah um yeah that song was very personal i, I love the song right off the bat and a couple of my friends are two of the writers on it the warm brothers are good friends of mine and when they sent the song right away i knew i wanted to cut it and it was personal in a lot of ways um the cool thing about that track was we cut it, I guess I want to say 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night. It was one of the last songs on one of the sessions we were doing, which I still love going in the studio with the band. I do it the old way with the full band. Why would you not? And you're in there for like three weeks. Everyone's warmed all up. All day. So awesome. Everything's, the yeah. hum of every instrument is oh, on all the time. It's so good. It's yeah. so good, yeah. It's so good. And the energy's there. And I have my microphone right in the set, right in the, um, in the control room with my producer, you know, that, that I can produce with Byron. And so I, I can talk to him and I can sing. But that track, I, I, I knew the song because I'd had it for a while. And I said, let's, let's do the song. My voice was shredded. I was hoarse. I didn't think I could sing. And anybody knows anything about recording, most of the time when you're doing tracking vocals, you're just getting the track down. You're not really paying attention to, to your vocal that yeah, much, yeah, you know, because you yeah. go back in and sing later. Yeah, yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. 
But I knew all these songs so well, so most of these songs came, came from tracking vocals. Yeah, because your subconscious is like, yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah, don't worry about it. And Whiskey was shredded voice. The very first run-through on the song, I sang it. And we did a couple more run-throughs to try to get the track right. And then I went back in to try to re-sing the song, and I couldn't. I could sing it better, but I couldn't sell it better. But again, it's the- but So we kept that very, that, that, the entire track, the entire vocal was the very first run-through of that night when my voice gone. It's that classic thing that we're getting to grips with here in this conversation, which is that, you know, the, the real Tim McGraw required to find the truth inside the song is there. You just have to allow the mm-hmm. voice to come out and represent it, whether it's the sound of a young person whose hopes and dreams are laid out right in front of them, you know, in standing room only, right through to Hey Whiskey, yeah. which is the, the desperation and exhaustion of somebody who's de- at the end of their rope, desperate really. to move on. Yeah. yeah, desperate. I mean, that's the key word to it, desperate. And, and, uh, and that's what I think the vocal has in it a little bit of death. It was desperate because I was worried about, <laughs> worried about singing. A different kind of desperation, yeah, but, but it translates, it but, plays. But there's an honesty it plays. to it as, as well. And it, yeah. And, um, that's to me. It's like I I want to feel like I'm having a conversation with somebody when I'm singing a song, and that's what I want to feel like I'm sitting just like I'm sitting here talking to you right now. Well, that's now. why I feel so comfortable yeah. talking to you. Yeah, it's just I, I, that's the way I try to sing a song. You've always been fit. You've always obviously had the a, a strong, you know, good genes. Good you know? genes. That's good what genes. I, I that's what I count on. Yeah, good yeah, genes. Yeah, my yeah. my uncle was a pro ball player. My dad was a pro ball player. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you've but you've definitely focused on fitness and on on and on physical well being in recent years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you dedicated that. You inspire others to do it. You invested in it. You have ESPN joining you on tour, amongst other things. I mean, it's clear that athletics and and physical performance is something that you've been able to turn your attention to, in light of leaving other habits for the most part behind. How important has that been? It's so important. It's therapy for me. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I try not to miss a day. I mean, I'll take a day off every now and then. I try not to miss a day. Yeah. It's just it's, it clears my head. Yeah. And I actually get a lot of ideas, musical ideas, stage ideas, professional ideas, family ideas when I'm working out. And, and when we're on the road, it's even more intense because we work out pretty much all day when we're on the road and the yeah. band does it with me. Yeah. And what that turns into is sort of a therapy session for all of us because we, we're working out and we're talking. We're talking about our issues, problems we're having with family, you know, things that we need to deal with. And we also talk about our show. And it, so it's a, it becomes more of a team-building exercise as much as anything when we're, when we're out there doing it. Until, until about three hours into it when you see guys, when, I'm, when I turn my back to do something and I turn back around, I see somebody sneaking off and, behind, and, and getting on the bus and, or – EJ, my security guy, pretending like he's on the phone talking that, so he can't do a workout. You got your teeth. I'm stopping out there having a cigarette. Like... <laughs> yeah. Just a cheeky Virginia Slim. But they, but they, but they, they hang in there pretty good. But, it's, uh, but we always say, too, that if, on the days that we can't work out or we can't get a workout in, we, we don't feel like our show's as good. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I found it later in life. I, I struggled with it on and off. I would do it and I'll do it, do it and I'll do it. In the end, I just needed to find what I wanted to do yeah. that inspired me. You know? mm-hmm. I mean, the boxing for me is like, woo! There you I, go. I get that. Yeah. That's fun. That's... And uh, and I, I, I hate it, man, if I miss a day. Yeah. You're right. I think we think it's about improving the body. I've always found the better success comes when you realize that the mind is telling the body what to do. you got to get the mind right. Absolutely. And that, to me, they're one in the, they, they work symbiotically for, for me as far as, as workouts go. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's, it's good for me. I'll put it that way. I spoke live on the radio show this morning as of taping, and um, I, I played your, um, your song, and I, um, I tried to remember me well. And I, I tried to put into context how I feel about the way you and Faith live your life 
through the music and into the conversation. And I want to commend you. I think that, you know, I, I think the way I put it was there are people who, who step out and people who stand up. Mm -hmm. And you have consistently stepped up. Uh, thank you. I, you know, I think the, the moment that I feel like I'm not improving and learning and getting better every time I go in the studio, getting better with how sonically I want things to sound, how I want to sing, the songs that I want to record. It, if I get to the point where I think that I'm not improving, that's going to be the time to stop doing it. Because I never want to be the guy that's just doing the same thing over and over and over again. But do you, do you understand that you and Faith represent something beyond the quality of consistency of the art that you've shared with us that has been very important to the growth and evolution of the way country music shows up in the conversation, that your bravery and ability to be able to say, go on stage and show um, inclusion and diversity and openness, choose love and not hate. Absolutely. That these have been really important steps towards allowing others to step in and, and do that, even at the expense, I think, of some audience. Yeah, we probably, um, I, but I, I tell you, I, it's worth it. I mean, if, you, if you can make one person think just a little bit when they hear something like Humble and Kind, or, or something like standing room only. If you can make one person think about how they can, you know, take that and go, huh, you know, maybe I should change the way I think a little bit about something. Then if you can do that, then it's worth it all. Just one person. You know, but it's, it's concentric circles. You know, you first you got to look in the mirror. Yeah. Yeah. And then you got to teach your kids to, yeah. to have humility and kindness. And then they go out and they show that to their friends and then their friends show that to their friends the, the and it just it, eventually it gets out into the world we live in a time now where you you can't run from conversation and you can't run from progress um one way or the other you're going to be in drawn into a discourse whether it's with a family member a friend on social oh, yeah. media on stage it doesn't matter and in quarantine really brought in and importantly and rightfully so brought a lot of that to the surface and it was like all right look, we're all on the same planet mm -hmm. and i really felt again like you stood up and you really you, you expressed how you felt in a very honest and true way um I know from speaking to other artists, I have the saying when it comes to artists who contribute to the conversation or show up politically, sociopolitically, or in or any kind of level, that I don't expect it, but I respect it mm -hmm. when you do. Yeah. But I don't want to expect it of you because your job is to write and create art that moves me. So I don't want you to feel a responsibility. Sure. And, and, I, and I think people, that's, I mean, people get so caught up into what people's politics are and what they think especially when you're musicians or athletes and they instantly want to say, I'll oh, just shut up and sing or, That's what or I just shut at. up and play ball or whatever. And it's yeah. like, well, I have an opinion too. I mean, I'm a, I'm a human being but first and foremost before I'm an entertainer. You know, I have, I have kids that I want to see raised in a world that, that I want to, my kids to be raised in. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I mean, you, 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 you're going to lose either way sometimes, but you got to feel good about yourself and feel good about who you are and what you stand for. Yeah, it's funny because I, I read those comments and I saw I was getting at as well is that the artists I know who get told, listen, play your position, do what we, we pay you to do. Yeah. And it's like, hang on a minute, I don't work for you. Yeah. I create something of value and your investment allows me to continue to create it. Thank you. Thank you so much for it. Yes, but But I want you to but I want you to have memories and things you'll always remember and a shared experience, yeah, right? Enjoy it's, the music. It's a fair trade. Yeah, enjoy the music. Yeah. Let let me be me and enjoy the music. You sang a song on, on the album called Small Town King. To me, it, it perfectly sums up um, 
what it is to be somebody who grew up in a community in an environment that's proud of where they live, that ultimately stands by the things that they grew up observing, maintaining them, building on the legacy of family, mm-hmm. friendship, showing up for people, community. Mm-hmm. There's a pride involved in that song, which is really actually very... Um, it's compelling. It draws you in. It makes you really interested in the story. That, that's that's what I like about you know even the uh, you, especially when you brought that one up because the up even the up tempo stuff has a good message to it and that's what's sometimes the most difficult thing to find is an up tempo song that really has a message to it. Yeah. You know, usually they're all about fun and games and tailgates and all that kind of stuff and those yeah. are fun and I and I've done a, a few of those and probably will. But a song like that that has a deep, meaningful message and tells, like you said, tells a story, but it still rocks out. It's, it's pretty rare to find it. And tells- it's fun to find. And in the small town that I grew up in, I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I probably grew up in the smallest town you can imagine. We had a, a caution light and a cotton gin, and maybe maybe 200 people lived lived around there, and that's where I grew up. And I grew up in a community in a small town that was very inclusive, very open, very nurturing. I, I didn't grow up around people being racist. Didn't grow up around people being mean to people. I grew up in a community that was, I mean, my, if, if there was any hint of any of that, my coach, who was my mentor growing up, my coach would knock that down in a heartbeat. He would, he would, he would slap the shit out of you if he heard you say anything yeah. racist. Well, that's why I love this song so much, because it's a really important reminder that great things come out of small towns. And yet, and I'm not asking you to go on the record about one thing or another, but I do have to say that does it hurt your heart? I have to ask you, does it hurt your heart to see something like a small town being ultimately politicized through one voice or another right now. What's going on is is very hard to hear. For yeah, me I mean, as a music fan. I, I honestly, I know I know what you're referring to, and and I can honestly say I haven't heard the song or seen the video. Yeah, but I do know from my experience that the small town I grew up in was a great place, and it was full of great people, and it was of of all races. I mean. Uh, and and everyone got along. I don't remember, like I said, I don't remember anything that was negative in that light from the small town I grew up in. I grew up in. That's all I can speak to. I can't. Of course. I can't intelligently speak to to somebody else's music. I can I can speak to especially when I haven't heard it. But I but I can speak to what I know, and then I'll let the type of music that I record and the types of messages that I try to put out speak for themselves. I, I, I love music so much and I understand that it plays a role in many, many conversations in many people's lives and everyone has a right to be able to express themselves. I have a right to not listen to it. <laughs> well, that's the key. That's the thing. Yeah. An artist is an artist and their artist can, should be able to do what they want. But, that being but they, s- but they, but they, you know, you, you live with what you do. Yeah, I just it just it just hurts my heart when I hear music being used as a tool to divide. Yeah, I I, I don't I don't it's like so magical yeah, to me. Yeah, music should should not do that. And it is magic to yeah, me. It to, it real it's real magic. It's actual what it's, it's actually what magic is. Absolutely, I mean it's it real magic. It comes from nowhere and ev- and it goes everywhere. Yeah, we like to say when you're in the studio and something really works, we like to say God just walked through the room. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And I just don't believe that's God's word. Yeah. Well, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you. Breaks my heart, man. Um, this album from beginning to end sounds so 
uh, hopeful. You talked about it before. You talked about like the optimism and the sense of yearning, the desire to achieve, to just go get it. Mm -hmm. There's moments in there that really kind of sum up. There's a bit of Bruce Hornsby in there for me. Yes, absolutely. Did you do? Is yeah, that fair? Yeah, that, that was that was a name check during the session when I was talking to the piano player. So I want some Bruce Hornsby on this record, which I love. Standing room only. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, which I love. That we talked a little bit about the journey influence in there as well. Yeah, journey on the uh, some songs change the world. It's all, I wanted journey guitars at the end of was it. So that give all... me some Neil Sean. Yeah, some Neil. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. He uses props. Does um was that all wrapped up in the feeling you were trying to create the the idea of the music building this hope, the sense of like it's all out there waiting for you if you have the courage to go get yes, it. Yes, it was part of the whole thing. Life affirming. You know, get up, go do it, enjoy life, um, and 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 learn how to process and enjoy the down moments because you learn more from those moments than you do from the happy and. and content ones you know when you have yeah when you have troubled times i mean you, you have to acknowledge those and pay attention to those as well because i think that's where most of the life lessons come from so what does life look like for you now let's just put it into a framework that is like i'm not trying to like put your life in a nutshell but you know you begin in you know in this very unique position of finding not only your own identity but your actual identity mm -hmm. at a point when you're cognitively able to process that you discovered it, mm -hmm. and this, this is. I was eleven. Yeah. Eleven years old, yeah. and it puts you on this process, this journey, which you somehow turn into fuel. You, it's fire for you. It did. It, I mean, it, that's like I said earlier. It, it flipped a switch on in me. It made because, like I said, the situation that I grew up in wasn't great. So when I found that birth certificate, it 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 just little. It made me better at everything instantly. You know, there's a there's probably a little a little part of me that wonders whether there's a small part of that which is is not that there's an element of that which is like I got to prove myself, I got to prove who I truly am to mm -hmm. myself because my identity is all fucked up and already. And to him, and to him, yeah, like yeah. So I've got to find a way to get his attention yeah. and show him that I tr that truly works. That to me is in line really with where some of the drinking and the other things kick in because you still need a distraction from the trauma. Sure, you know it's hard to process that. Yeah. You got to find a way to just numb yourself. And the older you get. The more it gets in your kitchen. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, because your kids. Yeah. You, that's the mirror of life. Yeah, absolutely. You don't want to shine that back. So fast forwarding to now, you made an incredible album, an album that should have been your second or third album. It's that. <laughs> good. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you. You know, and and it's got the most incredible songs on it. Your kids are grown up. Yeah. They're all out there going to explore. Twenty six, almost twenty five, and twenty one. Yeah. You and Faith now are staring at a whole new era in life. Mm -hmm. Right, where it's like, okay, for the most part, we've done our job up to this point. We're always on the clock, and we're always we're always in the company. Yeah, we're here. It we're investors. Stop. We're investors. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, we're here. But you you can run the office now. It's your office. You've built it. It's yours. The kids, right? Yeah. I mean, they're they're, they're solid. They're solid. They're solid. Congratulations! You did a great job. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you we we are so proud of our girls. They're yeah. they're strong willed, independent, yeah. fierce. Uh -huh. And good, and that's what we wanted. We then they wanted, have the have tools. The, they have their own opinions about everything. Yeah, and and we we encourage them to express them. Like, you know, my daughters will post something sometimes, and somebody will say, well, why, "Why'd you let her do that?" And I'm like, "What do you mean, let her do that?" I mean, she's a grown woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're out of a job there. <laughs> but um, you know, you now get to sit down with faith and figure it out. And you've got again, you've still got your own careers going on, but it must have kind of must be exciting to be able to look at each other and go, all right, what does our 3.0 look like? We, we figured it out. <laughs> we, 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 the first six months was a little rough. 
when they all were going, when, the, when our youngest daughter finally moved out, yeah. the first six months were rough. And it's always rougher on mom, of yeah. course. Yeah. But uh, after about six months, it was like, turn the music on, light some <laughs> candles. And because we got the thing and we were talking, you know, we got married and, you know, I'm not going to do the math, but we had a kid pretty quickly after we got married. And so we didn't really have a lot of time to know each other. You know, we, we'd only been together for, you know, nine months or so, yeah. you know, dating. And we got married, had a, had a baby. And now it's like, we're kind of like on our second honeymoon. Yes, well, thing. we never really had a honeymoon to start with. But no honeymoon? Not really. But we, so we're, we're, just, we're enjoying it. And now when the kids come home, it's like if they're there for five days or so, we're like, you know. God. No, you, no, yeah. no, you have somewhere to go. To. Sorry, that was the Kiwi version of it. Mom, mom and dad. Mom and dad need a little candlelight time. Yeah, no, no, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> so what is, so, so it all leads to this. What is the secret of a long-lasting, lifelong friendship? Gosh, I don't. I, I wish I knew the answer to that. Um, but I, I think, honestly, early on, we knew it was going to be tough. I mean, both of us being Ambi- artists and this business and, and yeah. ambitious and wanting to. But I got to hand it to Faith. She, right off the bat, stepped back and said, "You know, I'm going to raise my kids." So she, she gave up a lot, a huge part of her career for a long time, to just raise kids. And and that's why our kids are, have turned out as well as they've turned out because of her. I give her all the credit. Same. And she's same on my side. She's the best. Um, we we feel like um, I feel like I've got a lot more ahead of me, and and we're looking forward to. I mean, gosh, I can't wait for grandkids. I mean, hopefully not soon, but I can't wait for grandkids. A couple of trips to the Maldives before that. Uh, you no, know, <laughs> I know we got some trips to do, but but yeah, I mean, I, it's I, life looks looks great ahead. I mean. For both of us, um, I you know I'd love to I'd love for Faith to go back in the studio and record a record. Is she excited to do that? Do you think? So I think she's getting the edge for it. Yeah, I think she is because I mean, we we need her voice out there. Yeah, I yeah mean, we do. To, she's just one of the best ever. Is there a song on the album that somebody wrote for and with you that reminds you the most about her? Uh, well, Cowboy Junkie probably is in there. Then her, her. the song her is, yeah. is straight up about Faith. Yeah, for sure. And but you know. You always find a piece of your relationship in every song when you're singing it. I mean, gosh, Cowboy Junkie probably is the closest thing to it just because it's just really talk. It sounds like a cheeky sort of song, but it, but it's really about somebody like that's taking care of you and has got your back. Yeah, yeah. We started um, with a song that on the record called Some Songs Change the World. I kind of want to finish our conversation this time around there and wonder what the songs were that you can really think about that that have the most memories attached to mm-hmm. them that connect you to really essential moments in your life. I have them. I wonder what yours are. I have a few. Um, early on, of course, you know, I loved music growing up and, for you know, in church at first, you know, listening to gospel choirs and stuff in church was part of it. Um, I, I have a specific memory of we grew up right on a bayou in Louisiana. I mean, from here to that sign back there there was a bayou and i was fishing on it all the time but i remember laying on the dock gators gators there were all gators everywhere gators everywhere gators everywhere just like what's up bob yeah yeah, we would swim (laughs) you're naming them water ski in the bayou and you're sitting there getting ready to water ski and you look over and there's a gator floating there and you go all right hit it (laughs) (laughs) oh you wait till i tell you my shark stories about spearfishing but uh but uh i got in some hairy situations with that but anyway i remember laying on the doc doing math homework and i have a little transistor radio and 
there's a song called I'm Not Lisa by Jesse Coulter, who was married to Waylon Jennings. And I remember with trying to do math homework, but falling asleep and being in and out of sleep. And I have a very specific memory of hearing that song dreamy, dreamily mm. in my head. So mm. that every time I hear that song, it puts me right back in that moment. And then there's, there's another song, Samba Pati by Santana. And my uncle, who's old hippie, Napa Valley, ex-ball player, looks just like Sam Elliott. I mean, good-looking guy, 80 years old. Yeah. Uh, hangs out on the— Some people just age different. Oh, I know. Hangs out on— You're the, one of them. Uh, well, I don't know about that. Yeah, you I'm, do. I'm hanging on. Hanging on. Oh, man. But, whatever. Uh, he, he sits on his porch and smokes weed all day and, and listens to music. He's won. Yeah. And he's, he won the game. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's sitting a, on the pier fishing. Yeah, he's in the Hall of Fame He now. did it. <laughs> <laughs> but— uh, he told me early on in my career, before I was married, before I met Faith, he said, Samba Pati, you know, you know that song? I said, yeah, I know, I know that song. It's instrumental. Uh, I said, I know it. And he says, let me tell you something. Never make love to a woman with that song playing unless you intend on marrying her. Wow. So I didn't till I did, and then I did. <laughs> That is deep. That is brilliant. <laughs> and so that's one. And then the other the other song that I'll, I'll throw in there that, that was life-changing in a lot of ways was It's Your Love. Because Faith and I were really new in our relationships. The very first song we recorded turned out to be a big hit. And um, it just sort of it just sort of brought us even closer together. And that song will always be special to us. And, and when we shot the video, we shot it here in L.A., Faith was pregnant with Gracie when we shot the video. I mean, very pregnant, like eight months pregnant with Gracie. And you, you can look at the video and you'll spot it. She had this, I forget what you, taff, not taffeta, silk yeah. dress on. Yeah. And she had her you know, pregnant belly out there. And she kept wanting milkshakes all day while we were shooting the video. So she's right before a take, she's drinking her milkshake and then it spills all over her silk gown. So every now and then you can see a milkshake stain on her silk gown. <laughs> so I have a barbecue stain on my white t-shirt. She's got a milkshake stain on her silk gown in the video. <laughs> it's adorable, dude. Uh, all right, last question for you before we say goodbye for now. And I hope we can continue talking because it may have come a little bit later on than I would have liked. But, um, you know, I've, I've been looking forward to spending time with you face to face. I'm a fan, bro. Oh, thank you, man. Me too. I'm a fan of yours. And we'll do it again for sure. My last question, what's the shock story? A shark's, oh gosh, I, uh, we, we had a place in the Bahamas for a long time. Our kids pretty much grew up. And they're everywhere in the Bahamas. Uh, the they Exumas, uh, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. Yeah. Um, and when you spearfish down there, and I, I spent 20 years spearfishing. I, I'm addicted to it. I love it. I haven't done it in a couple of years because we sold our place and had not back down there. But um, it's for all free diving, and you have to use an old-fashioned pole spear. And there's, like you say, there's shark everywhere, but there's also great fish everywhere. And the way we do it is pure National Geographic. I mean, we're out in the, the wild water, and we're, we're free diving 40, 50 feet and shooting, you know, 25-pound hogfish. Faith's in on this as well? No, well, she'll swim across the top and watch it. In fact, she was swimming across the top watching a spearfish one day, and I'd gone down and got a fish and came up and put it on the boat, and I'm watching her, and I notice a fin pop up behind her. And her eyes got bigger. She then she she didn't notice it at first. Oh, so I started it's... swimming towards her, and the shark was coming right behind her. And then when she realized the shark was there, she started turned over and started screaming and kicking and doing the backpedaling. So I had to swim right over top of her and poke the shark in the <laughs> nose with a spear to get it to go away. Yeah. And then I've had, yeah, I've had shark. I'd come up with a fish and had shark take the fish right off the, right off the spear. 
And then the scariest moment I've had. I mean, you get used to it, and you, you know, you learn. Nah. You learn how to. Nah. You learn how to read because you can feel the electricity in the water when they get pissed off. As a great philosopher once said, "Nope, nope, not me." <laughs> nope. I had a lot of friends that felt that way at first, but once I got them used to it, they were all right. Yeah. So you, so you can feel it. You can because they're so full of energy. They're yeah. just like. <clears throat> if they start getting pissed, you can feel. You know it. it. You can feel it. But the scariest moment I had was I killed this hogfish shot this hogfish it was about 50 feet down and you know, I was gassed I, and my spear got stuck and he got stuck up under a, a reef I got scars all over my shoulders from coral reefs from digging under there trying to get the fish out but um I so kept you're go- bleeding now I'm bleeding I'm going down trying to dig this fish out and I don't know how many more dives I have left in me and there's some shark around you know because there's blood in the water so there's some reef shark around a couple bull sharks For some reason I think that that's like 101 don't do well my my the guy who was running the boat says I don't think you should go back down yeah, and no sh- I said, well, give me one more shot at it. Give me one more shot at it. I'm going to go get this fish. So I got down there, and I was pulling. I had my fins up on the reef. I'm trying to pull the pull the fish out, and I finally got it out, and I had no air left whatsoever. I look up, and I said, that's a long way. So I'm kicking and kicking and kicking, and right before I get to the top, it felt like a submarine came by me, and it blew my mask off. And it was a 14-foot tiger shark. Oh, no, just no, blew no. right by me. And thank God he didn't just turn a little bit. I, mean, I thought for sure I was done, but that's when I got out of the water. Yeah, a tiger shark shows up, yeah, it's time to go. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for checking that out. Myself and Tim McGraw in conversation right here on the interview series. Uh, just scroll down, you'll see lots of conversations with Burner Boy, Billy Eilish, Fallout Boy, Lady Gaga, Metallica, Paramore, Little Yachty, Shania Twain, Sam Smith, Pink, and many, many more. We also have a daily show as well. By all means, go and check that out. It's called The Zane Lowe Show. Uh, Every single day right across the week, we talk about brand new music. We've got some news. We've got brand new artists. And we've got some guests in there as well. Uh, It's kind of like a daily update in the world of music. So check that out as well as the interview series. And we appreciate your time right here on Apple Podcasts.